Hi, this is Tara from the Ambitious Addicts Podcast. Hi, I'm Christina from the World Girl Society Podcast, and we are working step five in this episode. And I'm working it as a compulsive gambler. And the step reads, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And this is the step version out of the workbook because the GA book does not say admitted to God. It just says admitted to ourselves and to other humans, the exact nature of our wrong. And the codependency step does have God in it. So um, it is interesting that GA's step does not have the admitted to God section. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been- I'm sorry. Willow, Willow would like to say her piece for a moment here. Is Willow admitting some stuff? <laughs> I, I think she's, she's letting me know some stuff for sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. So, um, I have been working step five for a long time and it's funny because even though I don't like, I mean, I've written like little notes and stuff, but I can be having a conversation with you and, you know, during our like normal conversations and it'll just be like, that was some step five work. And I'm like, Oh, was it? So I do step five sometimes and don't even realize it. I think that's true for all the steps um, hmm. that at some juncture, once we get into recovery and it becomes embedded in our way of living, that we're beginning to practice these things like admitting things right? Yeah. Uh, in, in our daily affairs, as the program says, and we we're doing work sometimes without even knowing it. Um, how have you done a formal step five yet? I don't believe so. No. Um, I, and I'm not sure that I'm hundred percent there yet, but I do like the fact that I'm working it in my life or in my conversations with people. Like I do kind of like that. Cause that, that makes this step not seem as intimidating. I think when you look back at it like that. Yeah. I think for me, my, um, I've done a thorough step five with myself <laughs> for sure with another human being. Um, and I talked about this in, in my step five episode, I kind of was telling different people, different things. And so I found it really interesting in this workbook. Um, I felt a bit seen (laughs) and was like, Oh, do I need to, do I need to revisit this? It asks us if we are, um, let me find it. Sorry. We can delete the dead air. Well, I want to talk about like, it's the whole point of, of step five, aside from, you know, just admitting our wrongs or admitting, um, you know, the things that maybe we did or our behaviors or choices or whatever during our addiction. But it, it talks about step five being, um, you know, bringing us to self-acceptance and forgiveness and kind of helping us work through the guilt of these actions. It's not to, and I have to tell myself this sometimes, it's not not to bring the shame to the forefront. It's not to, um, you know, help us. It's not to, to make us feel that again. It's, it's more about just, Hey, this was part of my life. These behaviors were things that I did. Um, and I'm going to forgive myself for these things and I'm going to move forward. And I think it's, it's easier. I've, I've learned in this whole recovery process, having somebody to talk to about some of these really heavy things is so imperative. And I know, and it's, and it's a huge step because when I was struggling with addiction, you know, it's so hard to admit even the littlest things or admit that you lied about something because it's just, you're scared that somebody will stop, will stop you or stop your, your addiction. Or, I mean, these were my fears, um, or that they would really see me for the, the person I was being, you know? And so in recovery, having somebody like you or having, you know, a community or having anybody, you know, there when you're ready to open up is, is so healing. I think the, um, the power of saying the truth, right. And then having somebody on the other side, receiving our truth and accepting us models for us, why it's possible to accept ourselves Mm, and, 
that if they, if they can accept me, despite that thing that I did, why can't I, and, you know, begin to look at like, well, how can I accept myself the way that that person did? Cause I'm carrying all this guilt and all this shame and all this regret about that action. And this person's like, yeah, no big deal. Um, or I did that too, or I love you anyway. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about this step is the word nature, the exact nature of our wrongs. Okay. And when I think about my fourth step work, once I was able to do the fourth step in a, in a exhaustive way and see some of the thematic things in there, and we'll talk, you know, specific about codependency in particular, it's like, oh, I have this theme of ignoring responsibilities in order to meet this needs of other people. What was that about? And like my fear of abandonment shows up a lot in my codependency. That was the nature of it, uh, which I think is it, it. That's been helpful of me to examine the nature side of things. What are those things that have this pattern for me of moving me away from who I want to be. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I didn't even, I didn't even look. Um, I, I think I don't realize sometimes how important like wording can be in a lot of this stuff. Um, because you, a word can take you in a completely different direction than what you originally were seeing it as. And so I think that's interesting that you, that you say that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say like, admit everything you did wrong. Right. Yeah. It exactly. doesn't admit the nature of the wrongs. Okay. And I, and that kind of makes, that kind of takes a lot of pressure off, I think too. Um, yeah, definitely makes it not seem like as, as like, okay, you're ready. Number one, here we go. <laughs> right. You know, because yeah. I mean, we'd be here like for years, right. If I had to like sit, sit back and think of like every little thing that I did wrong or wrong, how I wronged somebody or every lie I told or those types of things. I mean, there's just, there's no possible way to, to do that. So I guess if, if, if you overanalyze it to the point, then it can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of, that kind of not simplifies it, but kind of eases it a little bit. I yeah. Think. It was like, I lied. I was a deceitful person, right? That's the nature of however many wrongs there was. And jealousy showed up a lot in my fourth step work too, when I started bucketing things into themes. And those were the, you know, the, when those were feelings I was acting from, that's where the behavior showed up that was out of line with who I want to be. And mm. so those are my defects. <laughs> Okay. You know, my favorite word. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I know how much you love that word. Okay. So when we're looking at this and by the way, I don't think we mentioned this, but if you've been following along on our step work, we are working these steps through a woman's way through the 12 steps. It's a workbook and a book. Um, and we are working out of the workbook. Um, and again, I'm working them from a compulsive gambling perspective. And since Tara has already worked the steps through her compulsive gambling, um, she's working them through codependency, which is still, still blows my mind. Like how co-connected they are. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so, so I think it's, it's really interesting. So as we start in this, um, I like when we talk about admitting, I, I really like what you just said about the nature of our wrongs. So maybe when we're thinking about that, like as, as a person, I was, I, I lied a lot during my addiction. I was a, uh, I would say the two biggest behaviors that came up for me in addiction. And I even still had to, if I'm being completely honest, I still have to work on them in recovery. Um, but just not as it's more, they, they come up more out of like years of conditioning right. than actual wanting to do these things. Like when I talk about, like, I lied a lot. Um, I manipulated a lot. Uh, I, and I hate this word because it just sounds so awful to me, but I was a gaslighter. You know, I, if somebody would confront me about something, I wanted to make them seem crazy, you know, because that's just, that was just a, a, a behavior or a defect. Like that, you'd rewrite history. Yes, exactly. Um, 
those types, those types of things. So I still coming into early recovery, I still wasn't ready to acknowledge all the wrong that I had done mm-hmm. in addiction. And I think it's, it's, you know, it depends on, on how you're doing in recovery. Um, some of us need longer to process the behaviors and those things, uh, need longer before we address the steps. Some of us dive right into them and some of us kind of just work through them at the same time. Like, but for me, I noticed that lying still kind of came up in it and it was, and I think I've talked about this before. It was just like an automatic response to something because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want somebody upset with me or cause I didn't want to deal with a confrontation or, and those are just behaviors from when I was, I was gambling and trying to hide, hide shit and stuff like that. It was just like, so now I'm still in that kind of mind frame. I don't like confrontation, but I can say at nine months in recovery, um, I don't lie. I try and be the most honest person I can be in everything. I'm not going to say I hundred percent don't lie because I'm sure a white lie pops up every once in a while, but I try and catch myself. If I, if I catch myself not wanting to be confrontational and I know that I'm probably going to try and lie my way out of it just so I don't have to deal with a confrontation. Like I just try and find an alternate way to just get through it. If that makes any sense. I don't know. It's <laughs> like still, telling, it's still just a work in process. Like telling, like telling the truth. The truth. <laughs> yeah. And, and now it's just, um, yeah, I'm not sure where I went with that, but it was just basically, you know, still trying to recognize those behaviors that still kind of pop up from years of doing those behaviors. Yeah. And that's, I, that's how our brains are designed to create a past, right? And if this, then this, and the path that you've created is if I feel, if I feel like I won't be accepted as I am, lie. And you're breaking that pattern. Right. And admittedly, that's still hard for some reason. Um, it's yeah, it's still, it's still one, one of the things that's just still really hard for me is, is confrontation, but, um, or, or just having the thought of somebody being disappointed in me, or even, even still the the idea that somebody's going to judge me for my addiction. Um, those are still things that I still struggle with, but they are so much easier to work through. Um, because I know no matter what their reaction is, I can't control it. All I can do is control mine. And mine is to just continue to do what I'm doing. And that's work recovery. It is. It's also, I think, important as we think about this step, like our hesitancy around it and what is our hesitancy. And I think you just, you just kind of touched on that in the workbook. It asks like what goes through your mind when you think about telling another person the truth about your strengths and limitations and we've talked about the limitation side of things. I know for me, when I think about my strengths and talking to other people about that, I feel like I'll be judged there too. Like, Oh, who does she think she is? Like, Oh, you're bragging or your ego is big or whatever. And so I don't like to talk about what I'm good at as much as I don't like to talk about where I've messed up and what I'm good at. I can, I can see that. Cause I struggle with that too. Um, but I want to touch, uh, touch upon something. We had a conversation yesterday. Um, when we talk about limitations, um, one of my biggest limitations, and I think because I do this, po- this podcast, because I do my podcast and I do talk a lot about recovery is I feel like I have a certain amount of pressure on me to, to show the good side of recovery. Mm-hmm to show like how great recovery is sometimes when there's, and the truth of recovery is it's not always great. It's, it can be really hard some days. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, like having to, to be aware of all these defects, you know, like the lying and manipulating and having them come up when I'm, when I don't like confrontation and and having to, to work my best to, to be honest and 
but when I'm struggling and you kind of called me on this the other day when we were talking, because I, I was struggling with not feeling like I was getting the support maybe that I Mm -hmm. needed. And you were like, but you don't really ask for it. And so I think it's important to say that on this episode and, and to be open about it because you were like, well, that's just pretending then, isn't it? And I was like, well, I, I, I guess, <laughs> I guess it is. So one, well, that's one of the things but, yeah. with codependency recovery, it's like gam- compulsive gambling recovery. Look, we look at compulsive gambling and it's like, okay, you gambled, your life became unmanageable with codependency. You look at these patterns of your way of being and one of there's these main buckets, there's denial patterns, there's self-esteem, esteem patterns, there's compliance patterns, and there's control patterns. And one of the denial patterns has to do with us two, two things I'll pull out of that is that we think we can take care of ourselves without the help of other people. And then we mask pain in various ways, such as anger, humor, or isolation. And so isolating your problem by hiding it, right? It's like, oh, I I don't need anybody. I'm actually strong enough that I can take care of other people, even though you're in so much pain. It is that nature is you pretending, which is you were pretending everything was fine when you were gambling and you were pretending whatever life was good and I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. And you were in a ton of pain. We were both in a ton Mm -hmm. of pain. Yeah. And I, and I think kind of whenever you called me on it, it kind of brought me back to that moment. Like, I don't want to be two faces of a person again. You know, I don't want to be somebody where the recovery community is like, oh, she's got her shit together, you know, like this type of thing, because, you know, most days I am struggling through recovery, just like anybody else. I just don't, I'm just really terrible about voicing it. And I, somebody else called me out on it the other day too. Cause I was like, so how are you? And all this. And she's like, you know what? Um, you never answered my question when I asked how you were. And I was like, oh, you caught that. Did you? <laughs> you know? And you did it. Did and you even know you did it? No, no. I just went straight into kind of responding to what she was going through. I didn't even respond to at the end of the thing. She's like, but how are you? I just completely skipped over that and was talking with a a situation that she was going through. Mm -hmm. And to me, I didn't even think twice about it, you know? Um, So, and I, and I do know that early on when I first like started the Burgirl Society Facebook group, I did share quite a bit because I was really struggling in those early days. I did share some really deep struggles that I was going through, but then as things kind of grew for me and like, you know, the podcast started getting a little bit more energy behind it. Then something happened to me that I kind of just like closed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, and I've been kind of like that for months and I guess just, I'm just starting to recognize it. I think maybe more, more people are calling me out on it. I'm not sure. I just don't want I just don't want somebody to look at me and I'm not even sure if any of this pertains to step five, but I don't want anybody to look at me and be like, oh man, she's got it together. She knows what she's doing because I sure the heck don't. Um, I'm just rolling through this every day, like everybody else is. Um, and I do struggle and I do have really tough moments where it's hard for me to get motivated and hit a recovery meeting. But at the same time, I recognize how important recovery has to be to me. I can't, I can't put it off. I can't backslide. I got to keep moving forward. So, um, working these steps is a good way to do it as hard as they are. It's, um, the, how that relates to step five, I think is just you seeing this pattern within yourself. Right. And, and that that is, that is something that's probably created harmful behavior for you in the past, trying to just pretend that everything's okay. And that you care more about others than yourself. And maybe you genuinely do care more about others than yourself and not caring about yourself led you to gambling. 
And where's that going to lead if you let it, if you don't pay attention to the nature of it? Right. And I think that's an important thing to note because I know that's probably where if a lot of women think back to why they're, they turn to the behaviors or the, or the addictions or, or the things it's because we, and this ties in with codependency so much is that we give so much of ourselves to everybody else and we deplete our own energy. And if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm pretending and just, um, thinking everything's okay and, and, or not thinking, uh, you know, just putting off up that facade that everything is okay. Um, that just goes against everything I'm trying to be right now. And that's an authentic person. And I think it's just easy sometimes to switch back to these old behaviors, even though I'm not gambling mm-hmm. and I haven't gambled. These behaviors are hard to sometimes get away from. Yeah. I think for me, the naming of the behavior, the naming of the pattern with another human being absolutely has helped heighten my awareness of like, Oh, there's that thing again. Like, Oh, I'm doing that. Not only am I doing that here as a person who was in addiction and gambling, not only did I do that as a gambler, but I did it here and here and here and here. That's a nature of who I am. It's not who I want to be. Like, how do I, how do I move away from that? But just the knowing and admitting it out loud means you've now created some accountability for yourself that other people now know, or at least one person knows this nature. And certainly you know it now. And if you've admitted it out loud, there's some kind of power in the out loud admitting of these things that I don't like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about this in the workbook. There's this question um, around how and who we tell um, about our, our, how we do our fifth step. So I talked in the fifth step episode that I did, where I just talked about my own experience about how there were certain things in terms of exact things that I did that harmed other people um, that when I was a admitting them, like I did tell specific people, specific things. And it says in here, and I just was like, oh, I'm so called out in this workbook right now. You might choose, you might decide to share different parts of your story with different people. If you do this, ask yourself, am I telling different people in order to leave some parts of my story altogether? Am I telling different people because I believe there's no one who can hear my whole story and still accept me? And if the answer to either of these questions is yes, your plan for doing your fifth step could end up increasing your secrecy and isolation. Okay. And I was like, you know, when you "Hmm." said that, I was like (laughs) that, especially when you talk about telling your, your story to certain people, it's like you, you tell certain parts of your story to certain people, you know, will, will accept that and be okay. Um, but maybe wouldn't accept like the worst part of the story or, you know, I, yeah. And I, my the rationale, point. my reasoning and my mind for it wasn't, wasn't this. So time to go do a fifth step with like a single human being and do talk to, I don't know that I have to, right. But it's got me thinking possibly that I want, I want to, um, and doing it exhaustively with one individual, to have an experience that might be different. My rationale at the time and still now, not everything. I haven't admitted everything um, to a single human being. I have admitted everything like round and round and round and, you know, to certain people. And I think it was not necessarily because I thought that they would accept that I had done it, but more so because they they would know me more. It was like, I went in with some kind of motivation, like, Oh, I wanted them to better understand me. And, um, I wanted them to know that I see the impact of my nature on our relationship. So I didn't do it with like a priest or a sponsor or, um, some people have said like to a random stranger on a park bench. Like I did not 
do it that way. I almost went in with a very selfish motivation, like, oh, I'm going to get this off my chest and I'm going to connect with another human um, because they've done stuff like this. Or I, when I did these things, I hurt them. And so this is maybe like a shitty way of me trying to make an amends. Okay. And that kind of brings me to my question for somebody who's, who's works the steps, maybe just not as like deeply as others. So when you talk about you were sharing kind of your, your nature with certain people, mm-hmm. um, and, and I can see myself doing that, like with my sister, you know, kind of sharing kind of the nature of, of this addiction to her because she doesn't understand it and as a way of trying to explain to her why I did what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you do that, which is hu- hugely healing, uh, at least it was for us. But even like talking with my mom about that, or even talking with my other sister who wasn't really affected, um, but just kind of sharing those kinds of things. How important is it though, to talk to somebody and, and do all of it? Like, cause I kind of, I kind of paused at that. Like, I know I could have a conversation with you and probably, I still think I would not tell everything. Even with you, my closest person in recovery, <laughs> I still think I would, I, I'm just being honest and maybe that would change the further I get into recovery, but I'm, I'm being brutally honest, like not brutally, but you know what I mean? I'm being honest. Like, I still think I would have a hard time admitting everything. I, like how important is it? Uh, well, I think admitting everything is important so that we can see it and think about it. And sometimes when we just let things fester, they build into this, you know, guilt, resentment, shame, like we talked about before. And those emotions are the emotions we were trying to escape. So if we don't get it all out, we don't admit it all. And we're not, we're not then accepting ourselves, you know, we're still not accepting ourselves if we're not willing to, to get it all out. Okay. That's how I see it. Am I right? I don't, I don't, as you know, I don't think there's a wrong or right way to do recovery. And so part of me is like arguing with myself about like, well, you did it. You did admit all the things to different people and not all the things to a single person. And this is a really good question. You know, these are just really good questions. It's like, am I telling different people? Cause I believe there's no one can hear the whole story and still accept me so much of, see, that's what I think. I think that's, that's what I'm thinking. Even if I told you somebody who I, I like rationally, like, I know that I probably couldn't tell you anything and you've been like, okay, all right. How do you feel about it? (laughs) Like, I know that that's, that would be your response. Like, I know that you would accept me no matter what. That's not like I have anything, you know, talking about like buried bodies or anything like that, but they're still just still. And I think now that I'm really thinking about it, I think it's still, there's still just a lot of shame. I still carry and hold a lot of shame. So I think I'll probably just be like sharing tidbits with you just over the next several years, like something else will just come out. So I think you will be my one person. It probably just won't be all in one setting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it will just be randomly and you'll be like, see, step five work. And I'll be like, all right. (laughs) Well, and I, I, I know, you know, for me, that step four, I had to take it off in small pieces. So no wonder I took my step five off in small pieces. Um, so I might, I might revisit that. Um, but it, it, it just, I just felt super called out by those questions. I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe, you know, maybe I need to revisit step five, uh, and approach it in a different way this time. And I'm not trying to say the right way because I don't think there's a right way to do recovery. I think there's your way. I think it's whatever works for you. And I mean, I'm five years into recovery, so apparently it worked at the time, but is it, what's going to be what works between years six and 10? Who knows? So I need to keep practicing and keep growing in my own understanding of myself and my recovery. And I think what did work in the beginning may not work in the future in how my, um, my treatment of this illness really needs to go. Um, and I am trying to get in that mindset about addiction in general, that I am treating myself through these 
therapies. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's too, it's important when you are really needing to get stuff off of your chest. And let's say you don't have somebody in your immediate circle that you, you feel like you can have that conversation with, um, you know, you can, you can always talk to a therapist, your priest, if you're somebody that has a priest, um, or just somebody, you know, that's that, um, maybe in your GA group or somebody that, that you, you have kind of this relationship or that kind of understands the addiction. And, um, but I think, don't you think it's important to be careful who you tell? What she talks about that in this workbook, um, and that like knowing that they're going to respect our privacy and our confidentiality and that they can listen attentively, um, and be there when our, uh, when our feelings show up, cause they absolutely are going to show up when we talk about this stuff, um, and let us be sad or angry or whatever emotions coming to the surface in that dialogue. Um, I, I was just pondering in my head, like, could I sit down at a park bench and, and tell my fifth step to a complete stranger? Uh, maybe I could, you know, like they don't, I, I don't know if somebody's reaction to our fifth step matters as much as doing it. I'd have to think more about it. Um, I kind of came close, um, in, in GA I'll meet people or whatever. And, um, we went out, like I met this one lady in GA and over a couple of periods of, of GA meetings, we decided to do a meeting after the meeting. Cause I always wanted to do a meeting after the mm-hmm. meeting. They don't have them yeah. here locally. And so we just made our own yeah. and, you know, just in general conversation talking, she's close to my age, just talking about certain things. I shared more stuff with her than I had shared, um, not with you, but <laughs> with like anybody else really. And it was, it was really an easy conversation about some of the natures of my being and some of the, you know, the behaviors and things like that. And I think there was just such a commonality there because she had similar issues and and things like that. And so it was easier and I really haven't seen her much since then. So I don't, I don't know if that says something about that, but, um, (laughs) you're just going to make it mean something. (laughs) Right. She judged me. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She judged me. She's not, no, she's absolutely wonderful. If you're listening to this. Hi. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think is that, is that an area we can push ourselves to grow? I think is a good question. Um, the stuff I've done to preserve relationships with other people. Um, I sometimes have a harder time admitting what codependency created in my life more than I do gambling, which is, um, and I, I, I had a hard time even when I was doing them. And there were things that I did to keep relationships where I, I lied or hid what was the reality of that relationship from people who loved and cared about me. I, I did a lot of things that many people would not do. And it's almost sometimes like I have more shame about what I did to stay in a relationship that was not a healthy and loving relationship than I do about the things I did to keep my gambling addiction alive. It's almost as if I have this assumption that people are going to understand being addicted to an, a, a substance or a behavior like that more than they would being addicted to a person. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, you know, addicted to a, addicted to having a person remain in my life. Um, despite how much it created harm and it wasn't just once, you know, I did that over and over again in multiple relationships and there's some stuff, there is still some stuff there. I've not I've not admitted. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much the same. I was in a, a toxic relationship for a very long time and there is a lot of shame in that. Um, why, why did I stay with somebody that was so damaging to me? Um, and how do you explain that to somebody? 
you know, and not to mention just all the excuses and the lies I did just to cover up his behavior towards me, you know, those types of things. So yeah, I do understand that. And I do understand how uh, somebody could judge that be like, why would you stay with somebody? It's just that, that treats you like that or, or that did that thing to you or, or, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Um, or, you know, wouldn't come, wouldn't come around my family, like just all these, all these odd things. And yeah. I, um, I think she, she actually puts in the workbook, uh, she asks, about naming the, naming the behavior pattern, one pattern of behavior that, that runs through your life. And <laughs> that's the one that I listed. I think I've often remained in harmful situations too long. <laughs> I put on there in my notes, um, it, it has the, the example of often manipulating people to get what I want, but I underline that because I would say that's probably one of my, um, foremost terrible behaviors or kind of the nature of me, you know, uh, being manipulative, always making sure that I got what I wanted. And I think if I really look back, that that was a trait that I'd had prior. Um, I always wanted what I wanted and being a twin, I have a twin sister and she was always, she was always so easy for me to just maneuver. Um, And she, she knows it now, you know, she knows it, she knows it, but even when we were kids, if I wanted something she had, I knew how to maneuver her to, to get it. And you don't think about those things until you're really doing a lot of self-reflecting. Right. And, you know, I just think it's just a combination of behaviors and things that, that we just get used to. And. Um, I'm just going to read this little paragraph in here. We'll get back on the step five here. Um, it says many women are all too ready to leap into searching and fearless moral inventory with harsh judgment, looking only for the negatives. As women, we are constantly told about our defects of character. So we're very good at acknowledging our defects. And this is very true. Um, we don't often hold other people accountable, yet we'll hold ourselves accountable, taking all the responsibility and the blame upon ourselves. It's hard for us to say what's good about ourselves, what our assets are. A key piece of rediscovering ourselves is also to name what is good about us. So when you're working step five, it's not all about the terrible wrongs or the terrible natures of our wrongs. Um, But it is hard to to name something good. Like Like we talked about earlier, right? Like. Yeah. Oh, what are people going to think about me if I talk about what I'm good at? The gifts I do have, right. the gifts and talents I do have. It takes us right back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um I was actually kind of confused that strengths was in here. Um, because the step itself says nature of our wrongs. <laughs> so I was like, wait, we're talking about our rights too. <laughs> what we did right. Um, maybe that's yeah. for us to have some balance. And because I know in our fourth step, we're doing that. In our fourth step, we're taking right. an inventory of the good and the bad. Um, but I, I'd never even thought about my strengths in a fifth step till reading this work. But I kind of like the idea of, balance. Oh, I do too. Because sometimes in recovery, when you're working through it all, it gets so heavy. Yeah. It can get really heavy. And I remember when I was really working hard in the first few months of just trying to, to get through the anger and all the emotions, um, I just kept, all I could reflect back on was just the bad, everything bad I did, you know, and, and those types of things. And it, and it does get really heavy. And so I kind of like the idea that when she was putting this workbook together, she, she does bring in, let's, let's do some balance. Me too. Like, let's, let's talk about the bad, but let's talk about the good too. Um, okay. So she does ask in here to tell a story about a time I guess, reflective of a behavior, Mm -hmm. right? So since I put down manipulation as one of my biggest uh, negatives or natures or behaviors, um, I mean, this isn't going to be like a story. It's because there's just too many of them, but I'm going to talk about my mom. My mom, 
who is a beautiful soul and just always had a hard time telling me no. Same with my twin sister. But there was a time when um, she was living with me and, and she would uh, give me money to offset living expenses and things like that. And I would spend that money uh, gambling. And we actually, she wasn't living with me. We actually lived next door. We lived in a townhouse and we were next door to each other. But um, anyway, she would give me the money to pay the rent and, and things like that. And I would gamble that money away and then just manipulate it, manipulate her for her to help us come up with money to do these things. And, you know, I don't really tell all these stories when I'm talking, mm-hmm. but that is one thing where manipulation, like I knew who I could manipulate to help me pay my bills. I would spend my money. I would spend their money and I didn't care. Um, in the moment, I always cared after, uh, but it's just like with any addiction, when you're caught up in the moment of it, it's hard to, to reflect on what you're doing and who you're hurting. Uh, so, but what's interesting about this, I'm going to balance it out is now that they're both aware of my addiction, they're both involved in my recovery. I don't think I could manipulate them. Yeah. Anymore. Back to what I don't want to, I don't think about (laughs) it, (laughs) but I'm just saying, I don't think I could even, even if I wanted to. Right. I, I think a one, you'd have the awareness of what you were doing and something about, about this admitting, right. I've admitted I did that stuff and it's not who I want to be. So if you begin to take that action of doing it, the, um, the response from yourself is like, wait, 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 you're doing it again. And like you catch your, it makes it easier to catch yourself doing the things that you don't want to do. And you've now got this layer given you've admitted to those people, right. That they're also aware. You'd be like, are you sure you're not doing this thing that you said was a problem in the past, which maybe that's also why I told a bunch of people, some of my fit step stuff so that I'd have all these little accountability partners. Like I said, that would be kind of selfish way to do it, but maybe subconsciously that's what I was doing was like creating a, uh, an accountability network for lack of a way to phrase it. Or like a safety net, like all around. So kind of everybody kind of aware, but you know, one thing I can say since I entered recovery and I don't know if, if it's come across their minds mm-hmm. or not, but they have not asked me if I'm gambling again. Like they are, they have not asked me if I've gambled. Um, of course I'm not, I'm not doing the behaviors I did while I was gambling, right. you know, borrowing money or, or, you know, hiding away or, or whatever. I'm extremely present. I answer my phone every time they call and uh, spend time with them. But I think I just recognize that, that, Neither one of them have asked me if I've, if I've gambled and they both send me a text message on like my anniversary days, mm-hmm. you know, like they both, um, but yeah, they have not asked me. And I, be- I bet that is because they can see the change you bet. in me and because, oh, <laughs> I hate those words. Like I do that all they the time. All that is an okey thing. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> it's because <laughs> I'm hopeful it's because they see by my actions, you know, the, that the nature of me has changed and, you know, they can recognize that I'm somebody who does not bet anymore. I'm hope. I only say, I betcha. <laughs> this is why you just need to move to Minnesota. You'll fit right in. You betcha. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate the story. I'll share one too. I think that's part of what this step is, right. Is admitting the exact nature of our wrongs. And the thing I said was that I often remained in harmful situations too long, which definitely ties to codependency. Um, so I'll, I'll give an example. I dated and we'll go where we're going way back. Um, but this is a pattern like you, I put a story how about many stories? <laughs> um, because it's true. Like I combine them yeah, into when one. There's a na- when there's a nature within us, of course, we're going to have many examples in our lives of, of how we've done that thing. And I, I think I said prior, like 
this attachment um, to others and needing, you know, this external validation from other people to not feel abandoned. Um, that's a big theme in my life. And so I'll, I'll tell a story from when I was really young. I had a boyfriend in high school. Um, he was a high school dropout. He was a drug user. He drank, he was violent. He had a reputation for fighting and he had been mean, not just to me, but to many people, many times in front of me. And I stayed in that relationship, choosing to see the good parts of him, the funny side of him, the side of him that could be loving, the side of him that could be gentle, despite all those other things that were harmful and hurt. And I stayed in that relationship, didn't go to college, moved in with him right out of high school. Instead, despite being accepted and having goals that I wanted to pursue, moved in with him. And one day <laughs> after having an argument with him about, um, like a $27 credit card payment, I think really silly thing. I had been staying at a friend's house and I came home and every single thing I owned was in pieces that were one inch, my coffee table, my entertainment center. Uh, we had a leather chair in the living room and the the middle of it had been like sliced down with a knife and there was still pieces of cotton floating in the air. It took getting to that point of every single thing that I owned in that home being destroyed before I picked up the phone and called for help. So, and that's just one example of staying in a harmful situations. And I was a teenager when I made that decision. So imagine now at 45, how many similar stories I have like that after developing this pattern of just staying to have what I want to be accepted, to have somebody else to try to win somebody's love. Like I felt like I had to endure all the BS to, to get what I wanted. So that's my story. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing being in a different place now where you can, can look and and really look at what you want mm -hmm. and how you want to be treated and, you know, not take anything less. Right. And choose. Yeah. I want a loving and I want a loving relationship. I don't want a relationship where I'm in fear every other day. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Like I, I get bits, bits and pieces of your life story throughout, but it's always interesting when you uh, share a story because I really think you probably have an extremely fascinating book. I never wrote one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a level of admitting to other human beings. I don't know if I will. I like there's parts admit of my story. to the world. Yeah, like there's parts of my story that I've told to family members that I'm like, yeah you know, maybe someday I might want to talk about this. And, uh, my son in particular was like, uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, mom. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want anybody that I know to know that, that my mom did that. So that's funny. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So as we kind of wind down this, uh, we both have admitted some things, done some, some step five work. Um, Okay, so at the end of this workbook, um, I'll just read what she says kind of in a paragraph. Developing this kind of self-acceptance and self-forgiveness is really an art. One you can learn. And once you do, once you practice the art of having compassion for yourself, you open yourself to one of the greatest promises of recovery. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Um, and I really like that. I remember reading that a few months back when I was work, working, started working this step because I really feel like it's important to recognize the past. It's important to see these behaviors, see the, the nature of us, uh, the nature of myself where I was nine months ago so that I don't repeat those same 
pattern so that I change and become a person that, that I'm, I'm proud of. I just, I just always want to make sure that I don't, I don't live in it. I don't live in the past. Um, because it's very, very easy to do in recovery. Uh, you can get really, really hung up in, in the hard stuff and in the, in, in the past and those things, those things that I did, because I mean, even though we both shared story, it was a combination of probably many, 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 many different versions of that story, you know, that over the years compiled. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm not careful and I'm having like a really kind of blah day, I can really get lost in that. So it's, it's definitely, definitely important to look back, but then look ahead just as quick. Yeah. I don't want to shut the door on the past, um, but I do want to learn from it. And I, I want to understand how the former version of me um, teaches the future version of me how to behave differently in the world. Oh, I like that. Yeah. There's so much more in this step that at least in the book that accompanies the workbook that I think might be worth their own episode. So maybe we'll get together and talk a little bit about sex and God and um, not those two things together (laughs) and mom guilt. Um, I think at the admitting to God, we, we didn't even really scratch the surface of that today. Um, this is a really big step. And I think it's, it's a really, it's a really hard, hard step to, um, you know, put into one episode. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways you can go with this step. So as we kind of like wind this down and kind of, kind of close out, um, one thing she leaves off with is gratitude. Absolutely. And she's like, which we should always end everything with gratitude. Uh, she says, write down one thing you've gained from the work from working on step five that you're grateful for. And I like these examples because it says I have much less shame about my past, which I think working recovery, whether you work the steps or you just work on yourself or you work through the meetings, even though I still struggle, I think with some shame that I, that I think will probably take me some more time to work through. I, it's a lot less than it was. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to talk about. And I know that it doesn't hold me back um, in the ways that, that it did months ago. Um, Yeah. Kind of, kind of that way. Um, But it says, I feel deeply accepted by my sponsor. And this is a secret that we don't talk about, but, (laughs) but you are that person for me. Like, and we don't talk about it because of the, the anonymity, but I think anybody that knows this really in the community, they already know this secret, but I do feel deeply accepted by you. I feel deeply accepted by my sponsor too. Um, I think that's important. I agree. And you've got to have that one person, that one person who you just know, because since the beginning, since the beginning, when, when we met which I was barely 30 days in recovery. Uh, and you offered to be my temporary sponsor, which <laughs> it's not being very temporary. <laughs> is it? Uh, you're probably thinking, oh, a couple months, she'll find somebody else. No, no, not planning on it. Uh, so as you, you kind of met me then, you know, really early in my sponsor, um, really early in my recovery, what I most grateful for, you know, bringing in the gratitude is that you have really called me on my shit. And I think that's so important because if you get, if you're, if you're sharing this stuff with somebody and they're not being like, are you being honest with yourself? Especially somebody like me who lied and manipulated. I even lied to myself. You know, it's not just, I lied to others. I lied to myself. Like for some reason I could make things make sense by lying to myself that what I was doing was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, then you go through this whole thing of like, I don't even trust myself. Right. Um, so it's really, really important to have somebody that can call you on your shit because, and it doesn't happen for everybody, but for me, I went through a period of, I couldn't trust anything I was doing. I couldn't trust anything I was saying. I was so confused. 
And you really stepped up for me. And you were just like, okay, let's really, let's talk this out. And if I would say something, you're like, no, (laughs) like, you know, and it was great because even I remember you being really worried about me doing too much. And even with me getting frustrated about that, it was like that frustration was like, it really made me see that I'm getting defensive. I'm getting frustrated. That means I probably should, there's truth to that. And I need to recognize that. And so that that's been a big thing to me. And a lot of people are, are always constantly saying, man, you're so reflective. You're doing so well in recovery. Well, I wouldn't be this far along if it wasn't for you. I promise you that. Well, you're doing the work. You are the one doing the work on yourself and um, allowing me to sponsor the way I sponsor. Right. And I think when I look at the things I'm grateful for in my fifth step, I feel comfortable being myself, owning my own flaws and continuously working to be a better me. Part of what I Uh, one of the things, this is totally related to codependency was often like silencing my true thoughts or opinions. And I'm ahead of you on this journey of recovery. And so when I see you about to make a step that, um, diverted me a little bit from my path, because I'm so proud of you for everything that you're doing and all of the deep reflection you do and all the support you're giving to other women, but I, when I see you doing something that moved me away from me, my own recovery and had me deprioritizing myself, I, um, I don't want that for you. Right. And so I want your recovery to be, uh, it's your recovery, but I appreciate how you allow, you allow for that. Um, because that shows me you're committed to, taking some of this feedback and actually working a program of recovery and finding what works for you. And we're allowed to disagree with each other, but you also come from this place and this understanding that I love you and I'm not judging you and that I do accept you no matter if you don't follow, you know, my suggestion or whatever, or if you think I'm wrong. And I think we have this kind of relationship where like, if I, if I touch something that I shouldn't, right. Or I behave in a way that I shouldn't, where you are also comfortable saying to me like, Hey, Tara, I not now, like, I can't, (laughs) I can't have that kind of feedback right now. I just need to get this off my chest or I just need to vent. And sometimes I can be that person who leaps right into advice giving. And, um, you accept that about me, which I think our dynamic works well together. I think that's the importance of understanding your own relationship with your, your sponsor, your sponsor is not, there to coddle you and tell you that everything's going to be okay. Your sponsor's there to push you and help you grow. And in order to do that, you've got to, you've got to be honest with them and you've just showed up that way. And in our conversations, um, and that doesn't need to be limited to our, to sponsors that can be all of us in recovery can do that with and for each other. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I think it's important to have such a, a good community, uh, involvement, uh, good connection, those types of things, because I mean, like just, just being able to just say, Hey, I'm having a rough day and, and have somebody step up and say, Hey, I'm sorry. You're having a rough day. They may not always have the answers for you because sometimes, sometimes there just isn't an answer to a rough day. Sometimes you just have to get through the day. Uh, there's no, there's no magic formula to it. It's just, you wake up the next day and a lot of times, you know, it looks a little clearer or a little better than it did the day before, but it's always, it's always great when you have somebody that you can trust and and say that and know they got your back. So, um, we should definitely do an episode on like sponsorship, like kind of, we've talked about this before. So maybe you'll, you guys will catch that. That'll need to be, I think a a bit, like maybe we got to get a big group of people who have sponsors or don't have sponsors together. And maybe there's people who think sponsorships baloney. I'd love to hear their perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, very much so. Like, do you have to have a sponsorship in recovery? Like those are questions, uh, that we should ask and and see what everybody's opinions are. Um, for me, it works. Um, but I'm super blessed in that. So (laughs) yeah. All right. Well, Hey, I'm Christina with the broke girl society podcast. And I'm Tara with the ambitious addicts podcast. Thank you all so much for being here today. We're here if you need us. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll uh, catch you on the next one.
<laughs> we are here. We are. Don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us if you need support or tools for your own recovery. Hi, this is Tara from the MD. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Tara. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>